Welcome to the podcast that's dedicating to helping business owners prepare for exit so you can maximize value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates-Brownsort, and today I'm talking to James Church from Robot Mascot. Hey, thanks for joining me, James. And look, why don't you give us a little bit about Robot Mascot? It's an interesting name, but I'm sure it's got a, a, a powerful uh, uh, reason for being. Yeah, brilliant. Well, th thanks for having me here. Really, really thrilled to be here. Um, so yeah, look, Robot Mascot is, uh, is an investment readiness agency. We basically help early stage businesses to raise their sort of first or second round of funding usually. Um, so Robot Mascot, you mentioned the name, it's, it's something that we get asked about quite, quite a bit, as you can imagine. Um, so it's so a brief explanation on that one. Um, ro the robot part is very much because we, as a business, when we were founded, really wanted to work with future thinkers, innovators, people doing new things in, in existing or new sectors. Um, so we wanted to work with those types of people and robot was that sort of a symbol of the future, really. Um, but when you think about robots and there's a lot of discussion with AI at the moment as well, like robots are taking over the world and, and, uh, and sci-fi, they're the enemy often, not the, not the supporter. Um, and we, as a business, are very much the supporter, the friend and allies to founders sort of navigating this world of fundraising. So we needed to soften that somewhat and we needed to express that we were the supporter and we were the guide. So, so the word mascot came in, came about as kind of the mascot being kind of the, your biggest fan. Um, you, so, so those two words came together to form robot mascot. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of where the where the name came from. In, in terms of myself, um, I've written a book called Investable Entrepreneur, which is a bestseller, yeah. and that documents the methodologies we use at Robot Mascot to achieve the types of results we do for our clients when it comes to their to their fundraising. So yeah, that that's me. Alrighty, let's dig into that, shall we? I, I, I'm glad I asked about Robot Mascot because it's one of those names that you go, there's got to be a reason behind it. And and now that you've explained it, it really pulls it together nicely. And um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll uh, yeah. remember that. So James, so so Investing in early stage businesses, how do we know if a business is going to require investment or if it's going to be one of those businesses that's more suitable to um, bootlegging and, and just you know, funding its own growth? Yeah, I think primarily the, the distinction is, is if you need substantial capital to in some kind of asset, valuable asset in the business that, that's going to be worth money at the time it exits essentially so this this um asset would usually be some kind of ip or technology um initially it's probably less likely for you to get funding for um just spend on hiring staff or or marketing spend it might be that debt funding is is more suitable to that but but of course there's a there's a balance there. Um, so a lot of early stage startups, you'll find the first round of investment is very um, capex intensive. It's it's IP, it's building um, systems, processes, or or product. The second round of investment it tends to go sort of fifty fifty in terms of team uh, to help you scale and and IP development. And then as you go into the sort of third fourth round of investment there tends to be a bigger swing to needing capital to um to to uh, scale the business through sort of sales and marketing activity um i think the main thing is that that these businesses that are raising investment aren't generating revenues or are a long way off generating revenues and they have to build 
the IP um, and the sales and marketing function to uh, to and, and they make profit at scale, but they don't make profit on a with a with a handful of customers, and therefore they're not able to attract um, or, or secure debt finance because they've got no way of paying back the monthly the monthly payments um, because they're not generating any revenue. So so. You know, if you're a business and you're looking to scale and you already generate some revenues and you're you're able to pay back a loan, it might be that loans uh, are a better way to finance and scale your business. But if you're in a position where there's an initial big upfront expenditure required to achieve profitability in 12, 18 months, maybe 36 months, then perhaps equity investment would be a better route for you. Um, okay. So I guess historically that was you know, uh, you know, in, in the, the goods economy, shall we say, going back uh, quite a few years now, um, that would have been investment in, in uh, a premises and, and plant and equipment, you know, manufacturing equipment to get things up and running. Whereas nowadays, the, you know, listening to the way you're describing it, it's more to those, hey, look, I've got an idea, I've got um, um, an algorithm, a, a bit of high tech uh, proposition here, I need to prove the concept. I, I think I'm pretty sure you know, this idea will work. I, I've, I've done some research, I've identified a market. The research suggests the market would, would want to acquire this or, or it's a, a derivation of an existing solution, a, a subcategory, but it's it's often tech startups now and, and we don't need a whole lot of premises and machines other than computing power. That's it, that's it. And, and But the, the, the difference being as well that, that as, a, as a kind of a tech startup, the whole the whole idea of, of leveraging technology to to make your customers' lives easier, more efficient, tends to be that you end up charging a subscription model to access to that technology, which is quite a low fee. So there's no big upfront fees to quickly, you know, you sign up a client, they might be worth thousands, but they might only be worth 10, 20, 50 pounds a month on your, on your platform. But it's the long-term value of that, the lifetime value of that client that's that's important. So obviously that you, you, your first few thousand clients aren't necessarily going to pay back or be able to fund the development of the technology that you're, that you're selling them to. So, so it's that, it's that these, these types of businesses that we're seeing, we've seen emerge over the last kind of couple of decades all require kind of a different way of financing that not because they need big machinery, big equipment, they need a couple of developers, but even those couple of developer, developers, you can't pay their wages to build this technology on £10 a month contracts. It's not until you hit a certain scale yep. that you become profitable. So. so what are investors looking for? Because um, I guess historically, and, and, and the accounting systems reflect this with, with balance sheet um, valuations as well, and, and it's, you know, what we're leading towards is is building of intangible assets, yeah. um, and so what do investors look for for I guess a level of insurance to as assess their risks in, in this yeah, type of so, investment? So yeah, like an early, it, it changes as you go through the stages, but at a very earliest stage, it's it's primarily the team. Can the can the you know I'm investing in a team here that can adapt, change, respond to the market and end up building something. Do I believe that that team can can adapt with what they learn to build something that ultimately is going to be something that the market wants, that the market needs, that is going to be, we're going to find a way to, to generate revenues in a way that will make us profitable. Knowing full well that the original idea that is pitched to them may well be very different by the time they scale and exit the business. So they're investing in that 
more kind of taking a risk on the team and the individuals in that team to be able to make something happen um, off of the back of this concept and this this vision that they that they have. Um, and as you go through different rounds of investment and get later along your journey, it tends to be less about the team and more about the performance. And have you found product market fit? Have you got a product into the market right now? And is it something people are, have you got evidence that it's something people want and people are using it and that you're achieving, um, making progress in terms of, of having customers want to pay for the solution you've developed. So, so it kind of moves over, over time as to what they're, they're looking for, but primarily it's about creating something of value. This, this IP, this technology or this system or process, this brand. Um, it's going to be valuable come the end of the day. And it, it tends to be four or five kind of intangible assets come together to create this kind of valuable company. But it's all about the future of what its future value of it, if it were to find product market fit, if it was to achieve the types of scale we believe it could achieve, that's what they're valuing it on at the, at the earliest stages. It's not, yeah, the, the assets on the balance sheet. Okay, so I guess these these first stage investors who are investing in the in the concept, the big idea, uh, yeah, I guess there, there's a spread of investors all taking a, a smaller risk because it is a, a higher risk. Whereas investors down the track, once the product's proven, that they're, they're now just investing in in the rollout and build up of the product. That's it. You tend to find that the typical angel round, so like angel investors, high net worth individuals coming in at an earlier stage, will have anything from from five to eight on average, like investors making up that round, I would say on, on average. Whereas when you get to the later stage investment, maybe a, a series A and you're looking to scale scale up something that's already generating maybe a million or more in revenues, um, you've probably got one or two investors. You've got an established fund that's leading with half of the round and then maybe you've got two other follow-on funds that are much more professional in their approach and, and you've maybe got two or three funds coming together to to, to fund that um, versus the sort of ace or so angels. And, and remember that that early stage, you might be raising 250K, 300K across eight individuals versus at that later stage, you might be raising 10 million across three individual funds. So yeah, you're, you're right. It, it kind of, to spread that risk, you end up having more early stage investors than later stage. You, you were then more confident to put quite a bit of, of capital into this business because it's somewhat proven by by that point. Got some traction. Okay, so so we've got an uh, a, a, let's call it a tech entrepreneur, someone who's got some coding skills and they, they've identified this opportunity. Um, their, their backgrounds are in, in technology and coding, and, and they've started the work. Where do they go to find these angel investors? You know, we're we're looking at eight eight or so people to to invest. You know, two fifty half a mil to help them prove the concept. Mm. But it's not a background that they've got their experience. So, so where the heck do they go to to, to yeah, even start so, looking? Yeah, tough one, isn't it? Because because very few founders have this kind of ready-made network of high net worth individuals ready to kind of pump a load of cash into their ideas. So, um, first and foremost, you need to make sure you're you're fully prepared for the scrutiny you're about to encounter when approaching these investors. Essentially, they don't know you at all. You're you're essentially a cold mm. call. Imagine receiving a phone call today from someone that you've never heard of asking you to, to invest 50K, 100K into an idea that they had. You're, you're going to put the phone down immediately going, that's one of those scam calls, right? So, so you've got yeah. to remember that that's, that's, the, that's the relationship here with any investor you're going to reach out to. Um, so you need to be fully prepared with a really solid pitch and, and, and kind of uh, 
business case around that vision. So you need to pitch the vision, get them excited by the idea, show that you've got some considerable thought and thinking behind how you see this business going, how you're going to spend their money, what it's going to achieve, what the ultimate goal is for this business and, and document your thinking behind that with you know a solid set of financial projections, a really solid business plan and strategy for, for the next, not just the next sort of 12 to 18 months, but the next five years as you kind of scale this business towards a point at which you could exit it. So you've got to have all that stuff in place first and, and be kind of investor ready, as we would call it, and make sure you, you, you've got that those arguments set up. So when it comes to the hundreds of, of founders that are pitching to these investors, you cut through as the one with the highest chance of success, the one that's really thought about the business case and how we're going to spend that money to, to leverage this capital and turn it into something much more valuable at a later point in time. So once you're, once you're feeling confident that you've got that business case together and are, and are able to convince an investor to, to even take a look at you, let alone invest in you, you, you then can start that outreach. And there's a few different tactics here that I see work. There's a lot that I see that, that don't work, but the, the ones that work are, are kind of in, introductions to investors. So the first thing you need to do is create a, a target list of potential investors. And there's online tools like Crunchbase that are great for kind of identifying investors in your niche that, that have invested at your stage of development in a round size similar to yours in your sector and industry. And you can start to get a list of two, three, four hundred or more investors that have that match criteria that would be interested in, in what you have to offer because they've proven it in the past because they've invested in something similar. Then need to take that target list and do your research on those investors and, and who could, who can you get an introduction to through your existing network? Who can you manufacture an introduction to? So who else is in their portfolio? Who else have they invested in in the past? And can I go and befriend those founders via LinkedIn, get to know them a little bit and then ask for an introduction? You know, any way you can hustle yourself towards an introduction to those investors, I would recommend is your first portal call. That's the, the kind of golden ticket. That's the best way to get in front of an investor. Failing that, the second best um, approach in my experience is personalized and thoughtful outreach via kind of email, usually could be done via LinkedIn, but yeah. contacting these investors at scale, you have to do hundreds of these emails, but kind of saying, here's the reason I'm approaching you is because you've recently invested in company X, Y, and Z, and we're doing something really exciting in a similar space. Here's a top level overview, couple of bullet points attached is a, is a sort of five slide uh, intro document. If this is something that, that seems up your street, something you'd be interested in, um, perhaps we should arrange a time to have a, to have a chat when the time is right. And you're just kind of opening the conversation. You're not going in all guns blazing. We're raising 500 K for our amazing idea. And we'd hope you'd, you know, do you want to invest? It's like, that's the cold call, right? That's the, who are these guys? Why should I trust them? You're building a relationship. You're going to have reached out to you because of your track record. I think you'll be interested in what we're doing. Is it worth a chat? And then you start taking the relationship from there. And they're really the two biggest um, ways of doing this and, and getting in front of investors, but it has to be done at scale. Otherwise you're, you're, you're not going to get that, the number of investors you need at the end of the process to actually invest in the round. Yeah. I think what you've highlighted there is, is something really to, to bring home is that you really need to talk to a number like hundreds. You've got to send out and, and contact hundreds of people before you'll, you'll narrow it down to end up with eight or so people who will invest um, a few thousand pounds into your venture. So I mean, it is a high risk for them. Yeah, I mean, I use a 30 10 to 1 rule. So for every 30 investors you reach out to, you'd expect 10 of them to view your pitch. Of those 10, 
some will get back to you and kind of two will end up actually going through that due diligence process and come out the other side saying, yeah, I'd like to invest in this business. And then of those two, one will end up actually signing the deal and depositing the, the cash in the bank. So you can work back from 30 cent to one to figure out if I need eight investors in my first round, this is how many I need to reach out to as an absolute minimum to stand any chance of, of, yeah. of getting the deal over the line. And so it's just like any other sales uh, ratio odds, really. If you're going out cold, you've got to do your homework, you've got to do preparation, you've got to understand their risks and, and understand what's attractive to them. Yeah, I mean, I, I often in my book, I talk a lot about this is nothing more than a very targeted sales and marketing process. The, the sooner a founder can get an understanding of the fact that they're selling something of value, i.e. their shares, their equity in the business, in exchange for something of equal and greater value, i.e. the investor's cash. Yeah. And it's just like any other transaction, like when you go and buy a new TV or go and buy a house, you only want to pay what you believe it to be worth. Otherwise, you're not going to make the purchase. So you need to manufacture that scenario. And if you can get yourself into a position and treat the outreach as a sales and marketing campaign, and you know how many investors you need, and you've got a rough idea of, of therefore what the outreach level is required to, to get them through that funnel of kind of initial pitch, second and third meetings, due diligence, legals, ultimately raising, uh, closing the round and getting the deal, knowing that someone's going to, there's going to be loads that drop out at every stage of that process. And you work backwards and, and can do that outreach at scale. You're, you're going to succeed, but it's only really the ones that do. A lot of founders, it frustrates me. Well, get themselves their pitch together, they'll get all of these things together and then they'll just sit in their office behind their computer and just hope someone will, will come and invest. They'll send it out to three or four people and, and they won't take it any further than that. And it's the equivalent of building an e-commerce website. It could be the highest converting e-commerce website on the planet with like incredible metrics. If you don't drive any traffic to that website, it's not going to make any sales. Um, and you need to think like that with, and, and for some reason, founders just forget about that as a, as a concept when it comes to selling equity in their business. Um, they do it day in, day out for the, for selling their product. They don't apply those same principles for selling their equity. Well, it's interesting that you raise that because I think it's, it's, it's possibly similar for many founders of any businesses, whether they're looking for investment or not. They often start a business because they're good at their product. They're good at the technical side of things of building something. And sales is a totally different skill set. And whether you're selling your product or, you know, through, through um, you know, human interaction or, or whether you're selling equity in your business, it's still human interaction. You need to inspire them. You need to you know, instill confidence that you're capable and you know what you're doing and that, you know, if they invest in you or if they buy a product from you, it, it's a low risk because you give them confidence that you're going to deliver what you promise. That's it. So, That's it. It's, about just yeah, showing lower risk than any other founder they might be talking to. You're you're a lower risk and a better bet. Um, and and yeah, treating yeah. it like like that sales and marketing campaign. Understanding that the investor ultimately doesn't care about you and your idea. They care about getting a return on their investment. So the less you talk about your idea, okay. the more you talk about how you're strategically going to deliver a return. The more you're going to win over hearts and minds with with investors. Okay. So we're talking about early stage businesses. Um, you know, we hear a lot, and I'm sure you see a lot of people who come to you and they've just got an idea and they go, hey, look, here's my idea for starting up a business. You know, some of them are, are you know, hoping that people will invest in this idea. 
When we say early stage, how much work do these angel investors expect you have done already? How much progress do they expect you to have made before I'll go, yeah, that's viable. I'll, I'll put my money in that. I, because, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm having conversations with people all the time is that they're not, you haven't spent any money on it. You haven't taken any risk. It's just an idea and you think someone's going to come and invest in you. You know, we need a reality check. Yeah, they, they need to see that you've you've put some risk, some effort, um, some some time into into moving the dial forward, taking it away from an idea to something that that feels more viable. The the truth is, it depends on which sector you're in and who you're speaking to. So so if you're building an app for um, a consumer app, then it might be very different to if you're building a piece of medical technology, um, because there's there's a whole different kind of life cycle to how those businesses are kind of built and, and developed. But in general terms, you've got the bootstrapping phase, which would be kind of doing whatever you can, a little bit of friends and family money, um, a little bit of your own investment or just your time while you're kind of moonlighting on the side. You've got another job and you're trying to kind of establish this this concept and you need to get to a point. Imagine like if you're in a point where you feel you've proven this concept enough that you would feel comfortable quitting your job and all the securities that come with it to focus on this full time because you're confident it will succeed because you've validated the problem, you've validated the solution you propose to that problem. So enough people have this problem that it's worthwhile solving. The solution you've come up with is, is something the market really sees as, as, as beneficial and exciting and interesting that the pricing the people are willing to pay for this and then how much they're willing to pay and what kind of revenue model might suit them. Is it a monthly subscription? Is it, is it a one-off cost? What, what, how do you charge for this and, and what's the right kind of price point? If you can feel confident in those three things and fourth thing might be that the market size is big enough to sustain that kind of level of revenue for the solution that you've, you've identified. If you can, if you can prove to yourself that those four things are in place and that you feel comfortable enough to quit your job, to go and do this full time, then you're probably in a position to then go and try and convince an, an investor that you've that, that it's worth that first kind of pre-seed, we call it round of investment, that first initial kind of two, three, four, can be up to sort of five, 700K for some sectors um, to get more proof, more traction, maybe a proof of concept built, maybe some early beta users kind of testing the, the solution. Um, so if you're in that position, you can go out and raise funding. I think if you had an idea in the pub last night with a mate, you probably need to do a bit more work before you can go and ask someone for their money. Yeah, I like that as a test. If if you've taken it to the point where you're confident in effectively backing yourself and leaving your job, you know, no, you're believing that much, then there's a fair chance that someone else will also believe in you because you're, you're putting your the money up, where yeah. you're you're asking the investors to believe in you and have faith in you. And if you don't have that in yourself, how could you possibly sell that in com uh, confidently yeah. to an investor? Um, it's just not going to happen. Okay. So, so we've, we've got the, the, the business to the stage where we've, um, we, we believe in it. We, we, we're backing it. We're, we're, we're going to exit, you know, walk away from our, our, our current job. And this is, we see this as our future. We need to approach hundreds of people to get that 30 to 1, was it, That's ratio of, of, of approaching investors to um, share our pitch. Now, now it probably even needs to be more than that, and, and I think you already alluded to that, because the first, the first time I send my pitch out, it's going to be 
perhaps not as refined or as sharp as it needs to be. And you'll improve that along the way. So eventually I'll sharpen my skills and also my conversation of inspiring and, and I'll get better at my conversations of bringing investors on board. They'll, you know, so I need to do that over a period of time. I've then got my business to my point where I've, I've got some people interested. Now they're going to want to protect their risk. What sort of, what are they asking for from you when it comes to if they're going to invest in their business? Yeah, so. When I say so you, I mean the business owner. Yeah, the, they're obviously going to want certain assurances and, and those those can come in various different ways. Um, later stage investors tend to start dabbling in things called preferential shares, which you know, you should really be careful about as a founder before agreeing to such terms. Their money may be valuable, but but a preferential share could mean you walk away with nothing on the event that you exit because you're guaranteeing them a certain return in the event of an exit. And if there's not enough money to, to pay them back their guaranteed return and pay you out, then all the money goes to them first before it comes to you. So you need to be careful of those sorts of deals. That's less likely an earlier stage. It tends to be done more on There'll probably be, you know, there'll, there'll be legal things like your shareholders agreement and that kind of thing. And there might be certain checks and balances in the shareholders agreement that says certain things for certain things to happen. There's certain trigger events or, or if you plan on spending more than X on any one supplier that needs to get approval from the initial boards. There could all be these sort of checks and balances in to, to help help uh, angel investors kind of manage the risk as much as they can because i've seen the other side of this right i've seen the the bad side of this which is one of the first deals i ever worked on was a young chap not long out of uni i think he actually quit university to to start this product so he's quite young he's quite naive we had this incredible um concept and he'd validated it really well he'd done all those things that we just talked about and um he managed to convince a load of investors not to give him 300k which was his initial ask but 900k was what he ended up getting offered to him by these various investors so you give this 18 year old lad nearly a million quid um, with, and there was no checks and balances, nothing. Um, and he just had a million quid land in his account the next day. Before you know it, he's on inverted commas mm. business trips around the world with his girlfriend building the business and no product got built. He had a lovely flat in London, no product ever materialized. Nothing seemed to happen. Lots of lovely business class flights to the States and various places with his co-founder and, and his partners on business. Um, but, but no, nothing really materialized from it. And, and I was having investors contact me asking, do you know what's happened with this founder? Like we haven't heard from them in ages. And, and I only knew these things because I happened to follow him on Facebook or some of the friends on, on Facebook as a, a, a and, and I could see what he was doing with their money. They had no idea. Um, so these, that's the bad, that's the negative side. That's what could happen. They're, they're, they've got no control a lot of the time. So there's a lot of trust and a lot of faith going into that founder. And that's why it's such a long process. Like that's why they do a number of meetings and they really delve into the business case and they really understand what you want to do with your money and your passions and why you do what you do. And more experienced investors will start to put some checks and balances in things like shareholders agreements to, to protect themselves on, on an eventual, um, potential downside. So yeah that that's why it may seem tough but that from an investor's perspective you can perhaps see why they they would put these checks and balances in place as as they should do because they're they're putting a lot of money down yeah okay so 
let's talk about, we've talked about a lot of the, the things that we need to do to, to get our business to the stage, especially a tech type business, early stage business to be attractive uh, for investors to want to invest into. What are some of the common mistakes you see, James? Um, so I think not not communicating everything that they plan to do in the right way. That That's probably by far the biggest issue for me. Like Whenever I speak to investors, when I was interviewing investors ahead of my writing my book, that's what it pretty much boiled down to. They weren't saying yes to founders because they really just didn't understand the vision, the value proposition, what the strategy was beyond that. How are they actually going to make that vision a reality? What's the short term plan? What's the long term um, strategic plan to deliver that return on investment. Do you understand even what the merger and acquisition, the sort of M and A, the exit uh, market looks like in your sector? Do you even know who's currently exiting and for what valuations? And and do you even know what you need to build to make this a viable and exitable business? Or are you just focused on the short term? I need to get my proof of concept built. So they didn't understand kind of and, and these things the founders weren't explaining their plans around these areas well enough and because of that they weren't they weren't investing so by far the biggest mistake is is relying on your idea right no investor is investing in your idea and and the founders that believe it's the power of their idea that's going to ultimately raise them the investment are the founders that ultimately fail at raising investment it's the ones that go beyond an idea and have that strategic plan and can build the investors trust that you as an individual you as a founding team know what is needed, know what it takes to build this from an idea to a, a viable business and beyond. Um, that That's the founders that, that ultimately get the, fun, the, the, okay. the fund. So they're not keeping their investors up to date. They, they're not thinking beyond, you know, the, the cash coming into the business and, and what the, the, the exit plan is and, and how everyone's going to get their return. That's it. What, what, what about, you know, if, if they're 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 getting investment from angel investors, can, you know, can business owners expect any other input from from these angel investors? You know, are, are they like the the dragons who who want to get involved and use their contacts and what have you? Yeah, how, how do they get involved? It really depends, right? Um, it depends on the the investor. And I I always recommend to founders that they do their own due diligence on the investors that they're bringing into their company, right? And ask them to be introduced to some members of their portfolio and founders and see whether or not they're a good investor, because they might say they're a nightmare. They micromanage everything. They're on the phone every week. We can't get on with anything because they're always butting in. Um, on the other hand, they might say they're really useful because they like to open doors. They're really supportive. We meet once a month. They give some really good strategic input and they're really happy for us to go off and do what we know is best for the company, but they'll guide and support us in any areas and they'll open doors where they can. Um, some founders don't even want that. Some founders want a very really passive investor that's happy to just give the money and let them go on with it. So it really depends on what you want as a founder and to do your own due diligence on the investor and find out whether or not they're the right fit for you. But but my advice is always try and find strategic advisors plus investors. So if they're a strategic advisor that comes with some money is kind of, you know, smart money, we call it. Like not yeah. just cash, cash and advice and support. That That's the ideal for an yeah. early business. So we got a part of when we're assessing fit, you know, it's it's as much as us assessing the investors as it is the investors assessing us, the business owners, and we've got to assess them based not only their their desire and ability to to bring cash into our business, but what else do they provide or what else do they want to bring to the business and and is that a fit, is that a yeah. match for us? So we've and, got to assess the, the, the commercial yeah. as well as the say now the visions aligned. Does does the investor truly believe in what you're building or do they see this kind of taking a different shape because they're going to be 
sort of peddling their narrative of going, oh, you could do this or you could move into over here. And, and do they have an ulterior motive or, you know, do do as much interviewing of them as they're doing interviewing of, of you to make sure that they, they share that vision and, and they're, they're not going to be a hindrance, basically, to your to your success. Yeah, good, really good point. So, James, that, that leads us nicely, I guess, to we, we've, we've brought an investor into the business. We, we've got our pitch right. We, we've gone out and, and done a research on, on all of our investors. Uh, we found a few and uh, we've shortlisted them and they've shortlisted us and, and it's all worked out perfectly. And, uh, you know, they've invested the money. We've gone and, and developed our product to a certain point and we've, we've used the money. What happens next? Like we, we've how does that help um, support an exit and, and when should we be exiting yeah. our business? And we all know that you know, entrepreneurs are fantastic for taking a business so far and then they become the problem, the bottleneck. H- how much clarity do yeah. we want around that and you know, what happens next? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting. A lot of founders I speak to like don't like the idea of exiting their business. And the reality is by the time they're five years into this and done two or three rounds of investment and they've got thousands of customers, hundreds of staff to manage, suddenly they don't want to be a CEO. They're like building things. They don't want to be a CEO of a giant organization. That's not what they did this for. So actually, the reality is when you get to that point, you probably do want to be looking for an exit and you, you'll be thankful to, to look for an exit. So typically speaking, we'd see for, for high growth startups that we're talking about today that's seeking investment, you'd be looking on average to do three rounds of investment before you then exit the business. Um, but even if you don't, I feel that having a value, having raised investment at some point between now and when you decide to exit your business, whether you're looking at as a high growth tech startup or whether you're a consultancy, uh, if you can get some angel funding in to to go and build something and and push the business forward, that validates your value in the market. Someone external to the business has said, this is what we value the business to be at. And that really helps you, I think, in those exit negotiations and in terms of showing and documenting your progress on on valuation. So if we take the, the kind of tech startup kind of classic example, three rounds of investment, you're raising more money each time, a higher valuation each time, selling in the region of 15% equity each time. So those three rounds of investment end up at about 45% equity sold, but so you're in just over half of the company, but that company is five, 10, 30 times more valuable than it was when you started. Um, so you've got 50% more of a, of a, of a bigger pie. And, and those rounds of investment have really started to, to justify your valuation when it comes to, comes to exit, because there's been multiple third parties agree that this is a, this is a sensible valuation for the, for the asset you've built, which is, which is of course your business. So. Yeah, super, super important in terms of when to look for exit. It's it, it again, it varies with very with different businesses in terms of pitching to investors. I would say always look to be in an exitable position within five years. So your five year forecast will show you to be in an exitable position. Now you can decide whether you exit then or continue on the growth curve, raise more funding and go even bigger. Um, but yep, you should yep. be in a position where you could take some kind of exit and get some kind of return for you and your investors within five years of taking any ind- individual round of investment. So that's that's a general rule of thumb. Okay. So James, look, we've we've scratched the surface of this topic, and you know there, there's so much more we could cover. If 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 we've caught the attention of of, of listeners of the podcast and 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 they're they're exploring this. What can they do? Is there, is there 
they're, they're, clearly you've got some knowledge and experience here. We are, what can they do to uh, tap yeah. into your knowledge and, and learn more? Yeah, the very best thing they could do is visit a website, um, pitchready.co.uk. Um, and from there, you'll get a, a quiz um, testing you on your investment readiness and giving you a, a score and a 12-page tailored report on, on your current investment readiness with tips on what you need to do to make yourself more investor ready. Um, and from there, you'll get kind of a number of different kind of um, options. You can download a sort of order a copy of my book. Anyone in the UK can get a copy of my book in the post completely free. Outside of the UK, you can get an audio book and a, and a PDF um, option. You'll also get invited to a 90-minute strategy session that I run uh, regularly on, on kind of fundraising strategy. We delve into this subject over a whole sort of 90-minute session and, and we have a Q&A at the end and that kind of thing. So just going to pitchready.co.uk will, will, will open up a whole sort of bundle of, of goodies that will help you um, along that journey of kind of figuring out is investment right for you. And, and if you are thinking of investment, what you need to do to, to give yourself the best chance of actually securing the capital you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So that'll help them decide yay or nay by the sounds of it. And, and yeah. there's there's a problem solved. That's it. Is it is it for me? Is it right for me? And and if I am going to do it, what where are my gaps and, and what do I need to, to do to, to get myself investor ready? Brilliant. Alrighty. Hey, James, that's fantastic. One last question for you, if I may. Look, I ask this of everyone who appears on the Exit Insights podcast. What's the one message, the key message that you want listeners to take away from uh, our conversation today? Uh, nail your communication with investors. Get really good at nailing the communication and treating this like selling any other product in your business. You're just selling shares um, in your business. That's your product, and you need to need to communicate that value to the investors. Brilliant. Hey, thanks for sharing your insights with us, to James. Really appreciate you joining us. No, um, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Mm -hmm.